One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, I'm Steph. And I'm Simon. And welcome to the Food Fight where we offer a different perspective on food culture issues around Australia and the world. We'll talk with chefs, producers, business owners and experts to hear their stories and find out what makes them tick. This episode, we chat with Alan Eccles from Gimlet at Cavendish House about the experience of helping conceptualise and open the restaurant and about his journey as head chef across some of Melbourne's top venues. Okay, let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the Food Fight Podcast. My name is Steph Postuma. Thank you so much for joining us. Alongside me, as always, chef, sommelier, and all-around good bloke, Simon Evans. Bloody good bloke. Hello. (laughs) And we find ourselves here in Melbourne really, really lucky to be here. And to begin our podcast, we'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people, who are the traditional custodians of the land on which we gather and speak today, and pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging. All right, let's start and introduce our fantastic guest. You guys might not recognise this bloke, but this is Alan Eccles, who's the head chef at Gimlet at Cavendish House here in Melbourne. Mate, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks <laughs> for having me on the show. Long-time listener, first-time guest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, for those who don't know, Alan is uh, a mate of mine from Canberra, from the days back in Canberra. Back in the day. Alan used to uh, go to Tilopia, Tilopia Park High and uh, Narrabunda College, yeah, yeah, which is just down the road from where I grew up in Canberra. Quite a I'm few a uh, hospitality uh, people came out of that school, it seems. Yeah. yeah. That, that little region. Bunda. I know a couple. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a good little community that's come out of Canberra. Yeah. Some have stayed, some have yeah. left. But, uh, mate, there's so much stuff that we want to talk to you about. But um, I think my first recollections of you and food and beverage were mm. um, you used to drink two-litre bottles of vanilla Coke while you were driving your <laughs> car home from the coast. That's where it started. <laughs> so is that is that actually where you found your love for food was via vanilla Coke? Uh, no, not exactly. Um, <laughs> no, let's talk about that though because I think that when, when like we knew each other in Canberra, like I guess I had a bit of experience in hospital through Rolls-Choice and stuff, which you'd remember. Great yeah. name. Um, Great name. But uh, yeah, I didn't really realise at the time how like that, that you were into food. So like when you got into your trade, was mm. that like was it? Did you have a passion for food before you sort of started? Was that- um, no, I think I definitely like it's. A, I guess it's a common story, but I definitely discovered it at the end of school. Um, you know, going through school and. F- figuring out in those last probably year or two that I wasn't really interested in continuing to study and going to university and finding a career path in, um, in you know, another sort of profession. And um, uh, like so many other chefs, you kind of fall into some sort of dabble in hospitality, whether it's through your school or through, you know, part-time work or something like that. And, um, yeah, like the notorious hospitality just ca- industry just kind of 
grabs a grip on you and you become a you know addicted and fall in love to in in love with Mm. it pretty quickly and the lifestyle of it and um yeah but i mean i think like in terms of the passion for food and stuff like that like i was you know i I guess i you know grew up in a family that food was you know we did like food and we did you know my parents did cook good food and um so from you know for for my whole life you know i was always kind of lucky like that that um food was what was important and we did sort of celebrate it um and so i think i I think that kind of gave me a bit of a starter and a bit of a backbone to actually enjoying it Mm. uh and and you know having an idea of where i wanted to go with my career earlier as well yeah um yeah it's funny it's it's so interesting because we've talked to so many guests who have that same story where they're like school was never something that I like you know excelled necessarily or wanted to really go to university and pursue a real professional career in another industry or whatever it might be and it's like so so the option is it's like do a trade Mm. and it's funny because when people choose trades being a chef is their next electrician plumber yeah you know carpenter you kind of choose on which trade you want to do and you go like well i like food and yeah you know you're probably 17 at the time as well so you're like well, I yeah. like food like and i'm interested like in cooking and things like that so why not be a chef but it's just funny how like just massive like i mean the trades are very varied and stuff like that as well but just how massively different a chef's world is to to most of those other trades that you see in in, yeah in some ways like i think i'm always trying to get like chefs always sort of as fucking artists all the time and, it, and it's much closer to a trade than what people think mm, like yeah, you, you, yeah, you go to work with your tools you, you repeat the job the exact same way time after time of time and then and you go home mm. maybe for a beer yeah. <laughs> that's quite similar yeah. but it, I think it's just the, the reverence that chefs get is better than carpenter. There's no master carpenter on like national TV. You don't get like Scotty Cam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't get like you don't get like you know people being like you know I've just always wanted to be a carpenter, so I've come on this show to you know make my dreams come true. Like you wouldn't have that. So yeah, yeah. chefing has this kind of weird reverence to it. Well, I think when I and also when I started you know a career as a, as a chef and started training and stuff like that, it was also a really good time to do it in terms of you know there's a lot you know cooking shows were really prominent. Yeah. Mm. There was some really there's some some definitely some influential chefs around the world that gave a bit of uh excitement prior towards it you know mm. like i think like you know jamie oliver was was really big then and um you know there was a lot of those it, it was easier to find influence that that heightened it from just a trade and kind of did give it a bit of um you know something special towards it i guess yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, even when i was in my teens it probably hardly even occurred to me that chef was a job yeah. And t- until you started seeing like like yeah Jamie Oliver would have sort of been big when I was 16 17 I guess um and yeah I mean it was probably the, the first times where I was like realized that chefing was a thing not that I had any any sort of thought of getting into it for another another six seven years but I think um there might be a difference between sort of our generation of when we fell into it mm. with younger people now maybe making it more of a I want to be a chef from a young age yes yeah, very right. few people <clears throat> before would have been like ambitions to be a chef like you said it would have fallen into it an accident it would have been i was doing dishes and i thought it might you know, may as well be a chef now yeah yeah does i might have asked a guest this question before but like is there any when you first start your apprenticeship i didn't obviously do an apprenticeship or anything but when you first start is there do you get sat down and 
get told what your life's going to look like if you excel as a professional in this industry. Not <laughs> really. I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like, <laughs> you kind of, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, like, I think when I started, it wasn't so much. Like, I mean, I started in a good restaurant and had a you know, really supportive and professional team. And, um, you know, I think within that, you, you could see where the career would go. Right. Um, uh, but certainly these days we do. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like, when we bring on um, apprentices or young chefs, we really, you know, we, we do paint that picture for them of, of, you know, what they're getting into and where they can go with it. Mm. Um, and in the really optimistic, you know, optimistic way. Um, um, so that they're thinking about that. I think it's always, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I've definitely worked with a lot of chefs and I've probably myself gone into it naively at times and just sort of gone with it mindlessly, not knowing where I'm going, just doing yeah. it. Uh, um, without you know huge amounts of direction, but I think um, that's something that's good to do. You know, to, for younger chefs now that we sort of do is really make sure they've got that direction and that they they are thinking about where they're going and that mm. they you know um, do plan ahead for, for where they want their careers to go and they kind of map it out a bit more. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like as a chef, you kind of have from when you start till when you get to your late twenties. Like that's the key time to you kind of need to know where you want to go in those years. Then you can dictate where you're going to work, mm. um, who you're going to work for and build towards that goal. Um, so something I've always tried to make sure chefs kind of know, like I, I had a goal of like, I want to do this by the time I'm 30 and in between I'm going to sacrifice friends, money, yeah. <laughs> time, um, everything else to try and get there. Mm. Um, and I'm still sacrificing stuff <laughs> well that's it i mean like you've got you, the, the lifetime the lifespan of a chef that you know gets to cook on the line and in the mm. you know in in the kitchen really hands-on every day isn't isn't a long time it's not a long career so the earlier you can kind of establish a really good idea of where you want to go or and what you want to do in that kind of that that part of your career and who you want to work with or, or parts of the world you want to work in uh the the better you're off i think like having that yeah having that path in that direction um definitely like i guess it just stops being complacent stops mm. sort of taking the job complacently and mm. yeah and without good. direction because yeah, um, there's just so much you can achieve in in a relatively short career um mm. uh before you start to have to look into um you know other jobs you know we we you know, when you're a bit older and you can't yeah. sort of do the, keep do up the, with the like, young and do the long, the long days on your feet. Yeah. yeah. I wonder, it's interesting because like you guys now, right, and your age group, your, your peers and things 30s. like that, mm. 30s, 30s. Um, are kind of the people that are sort of at the top of the game at the moment in a lot of, you know, dining around Australia. There's some of the old guards still still at the top and, and, and some younger people coming through now too. But you sort of grew up in a time like we explained where like a lot of people were making choices um, to become a chef based on just picking a trade and picking something they were interested in, maybe a bit naive about what they were getting themselves in for and certainly not, you know, thinking before they even start their apprenticeship or at the very start of their career, this is where I want to take, take this and this is where I want to end up. But like, you know, the people who the generation that are now really interested in food before they even start their profession and, you know, have heard of all the names that they see on social media and they see on MasterChef and they've heard of all these people and they're like, I want to be like that guy, like, and stuff. It'll be interesting to see what that generation 
comes to be and where once they get to your age and to mm. your level when they're the head chefs and they're the owners the younger owners and things like that in the industry and you know cities and regional places and stuff what the industry will look like then rather mm. than it sort of being a bit of a, a mix of people who were in it from the start with a real focus and people who sort of just got into it just because and sort of excelled in it because they were natural or whatever it might be yeah certainly i mean yeah. and like it's really, really super interesting how the industry's like obviously changed now from what it was 10 or 15 or 20 years yeah. ago mm-hmm. but then also you know for another in 10 or 15 years like um what restaurants look like then what other opportunities and what in which ways that industry actually diversifies and opens up for maybe a broader range of career options within the hospitality yeah. industry which yeah. we've already seen happening so much yeah. with more media more sort of uh you know like lots and lots of different ways yeah well it's it's, it's interesting with the with that career direction and stuff now it's like there's some famous chefs out there that i'm like like i know what restaurants they used to work at and stuff mm. and now i'm like I don't even know what they do now, yeah. but they're still like really high profile chefs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's the thing is that like, I think a lot of chefs are realizing is it doesn't have to be restaurant work you do. Yeah, exactly. It can be you know, fast food, like, you know, guys from Butter, which had to, um, you know, it can be a deli, it can be a cafe. So I think there's a lot more. Yeah, it's, it's or it could just, be consulting, or yeah, it could well, be yeah, writing. Or, yeah, catering, or, or, yeah. or whatever, whatever it is. Because I, I, I think realistically, you're still, most chefs are hard workers. In restaurants, yeah. and that's what most of the chefs are. The good ones are hardworking and you know can do other things and creative and all those other bits. But a lot, a lot of it is just, it's just working hard. So a lot of people who maybe go um, watch Master Chef and like I, I want to create these beautiful dishes. The reality of being in a kitchen every day and having to do that for ten years before you get the chance to actually create is daunting, and that basically weeds a lot of people out. Mm. So and and that's until we find a way of of making restaurant work significantly easier which realistically there isn't isn't a particular way there's ways of making it better but it's never going to be a an, an easy easy nine to five job yeah, yeah definitely um, so it's, it's i think it's always going to be that way so i think that's why you've seen more you know uh, per, you know private catering um and other avenues that mm. chefs are using mm. to to you know be connected to food interesting it's an interesting i don't know it's gonna be interesting what the future holds because so much has happened now in the last 12 months that i think the next two three years is gonna be the most interesting yeah Mm. really interesting so um alan we need there's so much we can talk about but before i want to get on to when you move to melbourne from canberra and stuff in a second but just quickly finishing off canberra Mm. was there like a moment or a place that you worked at in Canberra where it sort of clicked for you the like the style of food that you're doing you know with the McConnell group and that top tier um, type of dining is where you wanted to be and you were like this is the type of food I want to be cooking I want to be working at, at that level was that in Canberra did that happen yeah in no it definitely happened in Canberra and it, it happened pretty early in my apprenticeship I think so I started my first job as an apprentice or as a, as a chef was at a restaurant called the lobby restaurant um <laughs> which is in uh, like the parliamentary triangle. I think it's Canberra. closed now. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. might just do events or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it's sort of been like a really kind of, you know, prominent, fine dining, really grand restaurant in Canberra for mm. like a, a long, long time. It had some really influential owners and chefs that had been there uh, probably since the 70s maybe. Yeah, um, long time. And I'd sort of joined that restaurant and started my apprenticeship there right at, probably right at the end of its sort of period where it was still you know an a full full a la carte open every night uh restaurant that serviced a lot of politicians and a lot of people out for mm. you know 
great meals and and i think entering into a, a more fine dining restaurant as an apprentice uh you know you start you get exposed to that world through the people you're working with and you quickly you know you've, you've you get into it and you start researching you start reading and you start looking at you know i guess deciding where you want your career to go and what inspires you um and for me while i was in canberra you know the obvious thing to look at was all the restaurants in sydney um and some of the big chefs there that were doing really good things um and that that was probably the thing that was you know came which we popped up in front of my face straight away and it was very much like you know you're looking at the three hat restaurants in sydney and thinking that's that's it that's the mm. that's the that's you know number one spot mm. you want to be on and uh so yeah for a long time you know that was like the that's what um you know that's what i aspired to and that's mm. what kind of drove me to stay in that kind of end of the restaurant uh, uh industry and also i think you know just you, you quickly starting off in a really good restaurant that um you know uh, that, that's sort of you know, I guess a, a really good quality restaurant. It's it's not only good quality in the face value. It's that trickles down to everything. The mm. way that the the way that uh, you know the staff that work there, all the all the practices and general things that happen there are just done with more consideration and of a, a high standard. And you that just becomes your your life and the the way in which you work. And so you then start looking at the next levels of that, and it sort of inspires you to be better. And you start. I guess doing that classic chef thing where you're in mm. search of perfection. It's just a, yeah, like it, it's sort of it's it's a culture. It's a it's a culture yeah, there. Yeah. And, and if you, I mean, you, you can't because you're a chef and you have to work alongside other chefs. You know, such long hours every day that if if you guys aren't on the same like page when it comes to yeah. how much you appreciate the food and trying to do things properly, mm. then like you'll lose interest or yeah. you, you, you won't be good because yeah. like, it's like if you don't care. Then well, it's those little things that start become a, becoming obsessions that um, you, you, know, you still see. It's, and it's, I guess it's a chef-y thing, but it, it probably happens in other industries as well. But those, it's just the small things that become obsessions that you just obsess. Yeah. They're, they're the most meaningful things, like the way you wash the dishes or the way you stack pans together and those yeah. little times. Tiny yeah. things that which gastros you like it's it's, it's a mild form of insanity yeah. for it sure <laughs> it's all it's all habit building and yeah this kind of makes a good kitchen and, and as as all habits bad habits are bad uh, hard to break yeah as well yeah um so it's instilling you see good ki- good kitchens will keep getting better and stay good because they've got that culture and those habits in place so when new staff come in they just get absorbed into it and you get taken up and it's like well everyone does it. everyone puts their chucks there yeah. and then I have there and they're bored there so I, I have to do the same thing and it's very easy to build that mm. um, and, and that, that's why you see good restaurants able to open other restaurants because they've already got those habits they take a few chefs over there and it's already built in and that's some of the, the harder things to start as yeah, a new restaurant definitely. But that's something that people grab to, and like I think you know when you if you're someone that's learning, you you've, it's, it gives people direction, and yeah. I think that that's what people attach themselves to, and they like that. It makes their people not feel like they know what to do mm. all the time, and that's that's something that's good. But yeah, I guess Canberra was I had a really good run. Like you know, I went from from doing most of my apprenticeship at the lobby. I worked at um, the Water's Edge. Oh, did you restaurant under James? It, yeah, yeah, James Moussillon. Yeah, yeah. No, sorry, no. It was before James. Oh, it was Moussillon. before James. Yeah, so it was when um, uh, I think Fiona Wright owned. That's right. Yeah. And so there was two chefs that I worked with. Darren Vaughan uh, yep. was the first one, and then Pablo was the second. Um, and these were guys who had come from Sydney, both from Sydney, and they bought their Sydney teams to yeah, right. camera to work right. in this restaurant, and they'd all come from two hats 
three hot restaurants in Sydney. So that then gave me another level of exposure yeah. to, um, you know, a whole step up. In yeah, terms of that was that was yeah that was next next level for Canberra it, at the it time. Was, yeah. yeah, I think it got two hats straight yeah. away, and it was just in terms of just the work we were doing and it, you know everything about the job. Such was a great just spot, like a too, huge like step beautiful, up. Beautiful, beautiful location, like right on the lake. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you, were you there? Do you, do you know if you were there when the first Capital Cookbook was happening? Were you there at I th- that time? I might have been. Yeah. 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 That was like I remember oh, the Water's yeah. Edge before. Yeah, before James owned it was featured in Capital Cookbook yeah. One, which Ooh. was created by my mum in um, two thousand and four. Yeah. And they like you know like with all, with all these books we're, we're like. I try, I try to say to the chefs, I'm like, please just give us something that people can make at home, you know? Like, it's like, I know <laughs> no, you want to put worst. your best foot forward and stuff like that, but like, it has to be something that people can somehow replicate. Anyway, Water's Edge gave yeah. us like an asset of pork with like <laughs> fucking 20 different like processes and stuff. And it's like trying to like edit that recipe onto yeah. one page. Like, the people, he's like, oh, yeah, nah. it's a three day process. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's pretty funny. But, but yeah, yeah no, look, cool. that was, that was a really good experience. And then, um, I ended sort of I like you know before I moved to Canada, to to Melbourne sorry um the one there was a a chef uh that got hired to 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 come into the lobby restaurant um um who was a was a guy um Christian Halberg who mm. ended up being quite a bit of a mentor in my early days of cooking um he at Pole Kitchen yeah, when he first started yeah yeah so he got he'd come from um I think it's the Four Seasons in Dubai or something. So he did this really, like, really, really, you know, established hotel career, and he uh, spent a lot of time working in Europe and, and stuff. So he'd he'd come on and he brought a whole the whole rest of the world to my mm. kind of life of cooking mm. and it's opened like a hotel that up point a of view as well, which is sort of quite different to a, yeah. a, a restaurant as it were. It was, but it was still that kind of that real high end hotel. Mm. So the food that he was doing was, you know, the food that we did there was still, you know, really heavily European influenced, mm. but really refined and, mm. and quite classic. Lots of French, sort of classic French roots to mm. it. Uh, so that was that was really awesome as well. And um, he he ended up uh, opening a, a restaurant called Pop Kitchen mm. in Ainsley, which I think now is called Pilot. Yeah, it's Pilot. Yeah. Um, right. And the so Cam- we the Canberra history. Here. Yeah, we'd sort yeah. of taken that spot over, and he asked me to kind of do it with him, you know, to be his sort of sous chef. Yeah, and I was, I think, I was still like right at the end of my apprenticeship. Yeah, when he asked me to do this. I was pretty young, but I'd formed like a pretty strong, you know, really, really strong working relationship with him, and and he was definitely sort of mentoring through my mentoring me through my, that part of my career. And I think we spent, I was probably there for about two years uh, for the first couple of years of Pulp Kitchen opening. That was just an awesome experience yeah. as well, and um, just a really fun experience opening a restaurant and then seeing uh, something like that happen on a completely different budget scale that was obviously a lower sort of very very you know bricks and mortar and yeah. like um you know the the restaurant was also a big step away from that fine dining as well it was very bistro yeah bistro-esque and um it was so cool. A lot it was more such relaxed, a good restaurant. But yeah, it was just a very fun, a really good time to be there as well. I mean, I think all restaurant openings are similar like that. The first year or so, there's always a, a lot of spontaneity and a lot of mm. just, they're just a bit freer. And they, yeah. they, they, it's that it's that time when they form themselves. And those first few, couple of years at Pulp Kitchen were just amazing like that. It yeah. was so much fun and learned a lot. Got, you know, stepping, stepping away from the, the more kind of, 
fine dining sort of food was a lot of fun as well and it really opened my eyes up to you know the simple like i guess achieving flavor through simplicity and ingredients rather than technique and multiple millions of things on plates mm. and and stuff like that which was which was really nice and also from my to the other side it was you know it was the first sort of open kitchen i'd worked in so mm. seeing you know, working in a in a dining room and seeing guests and you know talking and having conversations with guests and you know seeing seeing how the uh, you know the, the front of house worked um, was awesome as well. So that kind mm. of um, yeah, really you know got a lot out of that for sure. I think um yeah that that was such a cool restaurant and I remember going. I, I went in a few times when you were when you were cooking and stuff and um it was a kind of a new thing for. Uh, suburban shops in Canberra as well like there, there was a few restaurants out in the shops and stuff like that but it was kind of like a new kind of level of dining for your sort of suburban shops you always had your kind of local Italians and things like that but then in the Ainsley shops there when Pulp Kitchen owned up, opened up I remember going in and I was like yeah you don't get food like this at the shops like yeah. you know it's just a gentrification, gentrification of like suburban restaurant I yeah. think, which is mm. always exciting you know and it's, it's always exciting to see when you mm. you know you see that here in Melbourne in Carl Carlton and things like that now where you people are opening up literally the same restaurant that you know restaurants like the Carlton Wine Room and uh, like um, Capitano and stuff yeah I, I had a Capitano last week and we look at the menu and it's it could be the same as any other Italian restaurant yeah on Ligon Street that's Ooh. this cheesy old Italian restaurant <laughs> yeah you know loads of tourists and stuff is a big tourist attraction but it's it's just the fre- it's a fresh view on it. It's yeah. awesome. It's yeah. super tasty, and you just like this food is. I think we're going to try to get there while it's we're timeless. here. Timeless, yeah. yeah. Timeless food is and um, timeless restaurants are always always great. Yeah, so. I have to I have to correct myself by the way. Aubergine was another sub suburban restaurant in Canberra that has always always sort of like been amazing. So that's another one of the shops that was around yeah. Yeah. for a very long time too. But I think. Pop Kitchen in it, in it, in its sort of bistro approach and stuff for that sort of casual meal, not necessarily a fine diner, that sort of mm. weekly go-to. Yeah. Um, it was different, yeah. I remember like our, our weekly go-to places at a fam- as a family were very much just like there were these big menus with like you'd have your steak, you'd have like your pastas, you'd have a few yeah. pizzas. You'd Three have your, steaks, your, two pastas. Your salt in bocca, your, you know, <laughs> yeah. your cordon bleu, like yeah. bits and pieces like that. And, and yeah, that was... French. Nice. That, was your, that was your sort of... Yeah, that was your thing. But yeah, it was a different level when your pulp opened up. All right, let's get on to um, Melbourne. Where was the first place you worked when you moved down? So here? I... Um, I had a really good friend who um, who started, who kind of got me, in, yeah, it's a, a bit of an inspiration for getting into chefing as well. He was sort of a year ahead of me, I think, at school, and, and he started his apprenticeship. I think he left school a bit early, like, you know, when he was 16 and started cooking, and we were, you know, still remained friends, and I just, I was just like, wow, that's amazing. I sort of, was, you know, that's what probably another big influence of why I got into it was kind of following him into this career, and um, he... Uh, moved to to melbourne and i came down and visited him and just um you know when when i was cooking in canberra and just uh i you know I, my original plans were to move to sydney um mm. which is was obviously quite a, a kind of typical transition from mm. um from chefs um in new south wales or acts to to go to you know the city uh in sydney and kind of cook there but um 
I yeah ended up just spending a week I think in with him in Melbourne and he was showing me around and eating at the restaurants that he was working at and just absorbing the city a bit and just really really liked it I just found it really friendly and I remember walking down the street um, and people would just strangers would just say hello to you when they walk past mm. and I was like wow this is <laughs> <laughs> what nice. a nice place yeah. so I was like yeah and and I, um, he was working in a restaurant called Com, which is uh, in the city on our in Alfred Place, um, and he yeah basically got me in uh, into into working there, and I was working with a chef. I think it was owned, it was owned by the Van Handles um, then, um, and working with a chef Simon um, Arkless is a British a British chef who'd. Um, Again, sort of a British expat who'd come out to Melbourne in that sort of that, I think they call it the Brit Pack, or, mm, or he was sort of part of that. So he'd bought this whole classic British cooking, and it was really good. He, yeah, I right. think he was running the, is it the Oxo Towers in, in London? Right, yeah, um, yeah. And with his wife, Kate, and they were, they, they'd come to, to Melbourne and were running Com, and um, that was my first job. It was unreal. It just went from, you know, I guess what we were doing in Canberra to going to this kitchen and breaking down whole lambs and whole suffering pigs and Mm. just like the level again was just another big step up Um, and it had come from, you know, classically British, trained British cooking and um, that was just like, I just kind of hit the ground running with that and um, yeah, it was amazing And, and, and like just one of the best, most friendliest teams I've ever had, like still super close friends with a lot of the people we're working with then. And, That's awesome. Um, it was awesome. It was just like the perfect restaurant to enter um, Melbourne with um, and just, the, you know, I think it had a, a chef's hat at the time and it was, um, I guess it was, yeah, just a really good restaurant to learn how to cook in Melbourne and what people were cooking um, at the time. I think, you know, like still that sort of Spanish flavours were still really prominent. I know that... Um, like Cumulus had opened that that year as well, so yeah. there was a lot of buzz into that that sort of a bit more relaxed kind of um, dining. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, it was awesome. great. And then, so from there, when did you like? Because I think we will spend a lot of time talking about your work for Andrew and the McConnell Group. Yeah. Um, so, wh- which what was your first job with the McConnell Group? So I would started working for Andrew uh, at Cutler & Co when it first opened right. I think it was in 2009 right I think uh, when it first opened yeah, right. yeah. and so that I was when it was like like a month after it opened the doors mm. um, which was, was like in January I think and um yeah, that was that was a, a huge experience. Like, right. um, the first I've, fine I've dining kind of been at the top level at that mm. time, right? Yeah, and just a a really ambitious restaurant to open. It was sort of I think like all of Andrew's restaurants when he opens something, it does, uh, you know, it is something new. It's, it's and in multiple different layers. It was always something new. He um, and Cover and Co was certainly that. It was it was certainly that. It was a very cool restaurant at the time. Yeah, it was. It, um, and yeah, and it was a crazy experience. Yeah, it was, it was super super intense. Um, working there for that restaurant when it opened. Um, amazing people to work with. Like some of the, the the chefs that have sort of been in there in that first sort of year and two years. Uh, you know where they've gone is 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 pretty awesome. So mm. yeah, but it was a huge eye opener for me. It was sort of just again another progression in my career, but just it was a big step up going mm. from that sort of one hat level into the next step up but also in a new restaurant that quickly became just the hottest ticket in town yeah or in, even in the country mm. um 
it was yeah, it was a hard hard to keep up with. It really. had three hats for a number of years, right? I don't think we got three. I think it always kind of got, it got two. You know, maybe in the probably in the first year that it opened, and then it's just kind of stayed at that level really? the whole time. Okay. And it's I think it celebrated ten years, like maybe like a year ago or something. Yeah. Sort of, it's you know, ten or eleven years after old, a, so. all sorts of iterations and yeah, and a couple of structural changes. Yeah, and things like that. yeah. So how long did you did you sort of stay there? Right through for a while, or did you? No, kind of move so around? my first, I've had a few stints there and a few stints <laughs> yeah. working with Andrew. So um, I kind of keep going back with it. So let's hold on. We'll go. We'll just uh, we'll, we'll start with every <coughs> every of which all the venues you've worked at let's in the McConnell all. Group, and then, the and then we'll, we'll sort of we don't have to go through, like we don't have to talk about your experience at each one. Yeah, but you've been you've been head chef at you open Marion. Yeah, yeah. I was the first chef and did did the opening. Yeah. put that together, and, and then. Uh, you also you were also head chef at uh, Cutler and Co for yes. a time, yeah, and super yep. normal. Uh, no, so my I kind of I spent I've spent most of my I think I've spent probably eight it was probably like about eight years total working at Cutler yeah. and Co. Okay. Um, and I'd sort of gone from a you know junior chef a, a commie chef or a chef to party and kind of all the way up to head chef there yeah. um, over that time. Um, I briefly got out of Cutler and Co and did Marion, um, yeah, okay, right. which was amazing. I loved Marion and I still do, and it was such a good thing to put together. Um, uh, but only really got to cook there for about five, uh, I think it was like six months. Yeah, okay. So right. I got got to do the opening, got to set it up, got it established, and then got pulled back into Cutler. And now, <laughs> but but for good reasons. I was you know got offered the sort of the head chef role back at Cutler and Co and spent um, I think it was like two, three, or four years as the head chef. Um, and then from there, I went into a development chef role for the group. Yeah. Um, for I think it was about a year and a half, um, which was awesome. That sort of I got to then sort of spend a bit more time in the other kitchens around the group. So super normal, super normal canteen at the time, uh, the Builders Arms Hotel, Cumulus. Um, uh, but I think at the time as well, then you know when I was in that role, Andrew was doing a lot. He was doing quite a lot of cooking outside of the restaurant yeah. so a lot of food events um a lot of stuff for um publication yeah. uh, for papers and uh, magazines and stuff like that so a lot of my role that was almost like putting that sort of stuff together a lot of photo shoots a lot of really a lot of sort of one-off events and things like that so that was that was super interesting mm. uh, every day was different was that on different places did you was that a bit of a breather from the from the slog of a head chef role at a it was you know, a little bit on? it yeah. was a little bit but I, I sort of didn't end up doing it for that like I, I sort of quickly discovered there's there's two things I really missed when I was in that role and one was having a team to work with and and being in charge mm. or you know to, to I guess leading a team yeah um and I really missed doing services yeah. and just the the general charms of working in a restaurant I kind mm. of and I also just realised I was probably just a bit young for it I sort of what, didn't really want that in my life at the time and I was like I'd love this job in 10 years time when right. I'm 40 years old and I want to you know have nights off and slow things down a bit more um, uh, so yeah I kind of you know I really enjoyed it and there were some amazing things we did and amazing places we cooked and, and things like that but um I really kind of just missed being in the in the actual yeah. restaurant kind of. Yeah, it's like it's, it. it's nice Addicted. to do. Yeah, diff, yeah. <laughs> it's nice to do different things and do outside catering. And like I end up taking up quite a lot of it when I get offered things. But then afterwards, I'm like, oh, I like the kitchen. Like, yeah, like, like I do them sporadically, but I can, I can never imagine being a full time caterer. Like every every weekend, being like, oh fuck, we're cooking here now. Yeah, we're gonna do here. Like it's it's its own it's its own weird kind of grind. It is, and like the consistency and the 
kind of reliability of, of just being in an actual kitchen is is quite comforting yeah as mm. manic as it can be well it's just super hard work it's, it's very it's just really taxing as well because every event you do yeah like you said it's just everyone every event's different they're all kind of bespoke and mm. they're all in a different state or somewhere else around the world and yeah. you just like uh, it's just such hard work to mm. by the end of everyone you're just exhausted yeah. where I think you know working in a kitchen with a team you've got the support of a team you're working in a team and um, you quickly you know I think I quickly realised like I'm a team player not you know a, yeah. I'm not a you know individual here like yeah. I love having the support of a team and bouncing things off a team and having a team involved in the work that I'm doing and achieving the goals or just achieving you know yeah. good things in a team rather than by yourself so yeah, um, yeah it, was a bit, it was a bit of a realisation there and it's definitely something like I would love to go back to and, and stuff but um, y- you know I think it probably is something that's good to tie in to when you you know when you do want to actually step out of the kitchen yeah, or when yeah. your, your body's telling you to step out of the kitchen yeah. or <laughs> yeah. yeah you know you, one you, of the you, options we were talking yeah, about earlier yeah, yeah. Um, sort of the next kind of it could be it's next, next phase you know, sort of phase in the career yeah. I think um, yeah. and obviously like I mean we went and had a drink at Gimlet last night and had some beautiful food as well uh, and so Got you've opened that recently food. and are working as head chef <laughs> at Gimlet which we'll get into detail in a sec about what you're doing there because we want to talk about mm. it's such a beautiful venue and the food's amazing from what we've had so far but we're going for the full experience tomorrow night which we're very much looking forward to Yeah. but um, let's talk a bit about Oh, and also it's worth mentioning um, that you di- you also sort of before opening Gimlet, Gimlet, you you did a stint as head chef at Lesser as well. Yeah, yeah. So I think um, after kind of spending, I you know did a long stint with Andrew through Cutler and then into that development role. And um, by the end of that, I sort of you know I felt like I'd sort of reached as far as I wanted to reach with Andrew, and it wasn't. You know, I guess I sort of was like, well, I need to change it up. You know, I need to learn from someone else. Mm. I need to have mm. some different experiences and see how some different people run their shops and um, just change things up a bit to, you know, hopefully find some more direction for myself. And um, I, yeah, sort of stepped away, um, had a little bit of time off, traveled a little bit, and then um, kind of came back to Melbourne and um, was was basically looking for a job where it was just really currently like focused on food and um you know probably in somewhere a little bit a smaller smaller restaurant a smaller restaurant group and um somewhere that was just you know super highly creative and really individual and stuff mm. like that and so there was a couple of options i was looking at but ended up falling uh into a spot with with dave verhul at, at um at embler um and he was about to open up lesser so it was sort of quickly going into two venue location um and yeah so it sort of agreed to to do like a you know a, a small stint with with him or, you know and um uh yeah i just had an awesome time it yeah was, dave D- working with dave was like just everything i kind of wanted out of that experience like he's he's a genius with food his palate is just so insanely good and focused and he's he's very creative he's always thinking out of the box and doing something different and interesting um and there's just a lot to learn working mm. with him mm. cooking over you know embler especially you know you, that kitchen pretty much primarily just cooks over fire mm. and it's a busy busy wine bar that yeah. really mm. pumps so it's like the it's an electric vibe cooking in that kitchen yeah you're man. cooking you know you can only fit four people in a kitchen and it's at a tight squeeze and it's just 
it's like it's it's wild it's a wild place to work and a lot of fun um so yeah it was just a really nice contrast working from uh you know with andrew and his restaurant group to this small what was almost like a family vibe field run restaurant um uh and just it was just really food focused lots of fun lots of partying lots of really great friendships built there it was it was wild so it was a real refreshing break from a pretty like you know pretty senior role in a pretty big yeah. restaurant group where you had a lot of responsibility a lot of you know it wasn't just about the food you're also managing the the business side of the kitchen yeah with, with its finances and its its hr and everything so you know it's a, it's a they're big roles these jobs and yeah. and um you know not to say that embler and lesser didn't involve that at, at all it was just on a, a much smaller scale and um just you know there was just the, the dial was turned down a bit there which was which was nice so it was very much focused on the food and then with lesser opening up lesser that was sort of um you know that just again on top of that the creativeness and yeah. stuff that went into that was was amazing and just being able to just cook just focus on sort of cooking learning things yeah. and just and cooking new food what was the like how was the sort of creative collaboration like with Dave? Because obviously he's the creative mind behind Lesser and Embler. Yeah. And, um, you know, you coming in there from having worked, you know, predominantly for the last period under under Andrew, how, was there like opportunities for you to inject your creativity yeah, into the menus? And absolutely. That sort of thing? Dave, Dave was really, really generous with that. He... Um, I think we kind of we we I didn't know Dave really really well before before I started working there. It sort of you know he'd come in and had eaten at, at Marion and we'd sort of introduced ourselves a few times before. But I didn't know him. I didn't actually really know him apart from his food and his sort of his restaurant identity m- more. But he was um we we sort of clicked really really quickly really really well. And he um yeah straight away put a huge amount of trust in me and very much involved me in the um um the you know the creative process with the food both at Embla and, and Lesser. Um he you know I think he was at that stage where he was trying to you know wanting to step out of just being in the kitchen all the time as well so he obviously let a lot of the, the just the, the day-to-day stuff and running of the kitchen um with me which was great but yeah definitely got, well, I had a huge huge amount of input on, on what happened on the menus how did what's going through your mind when you're trying to create something for a restaurant like that and you're like how do I like like, how do you fit the? I don't know what it is. It's like channeling channeling what is the essence of the food style at Embler and Lesser, which is, as you said, it's like super creative, really is, unique. Yeah. And in, like, you're thinking, does this fit? Like, does this does this work? Do you do? You, is well, it a- I think I kind of we quickly established, and it was really funny because I think both me and Dave so established this kind of ideology at the same time was we when we were sort of coming up with an idea for a dish, we'd have an idea of what we wanted the the raw structure of this dish to be so it might be like a raw fish dish for embler or something like that and we'd you you quickly come up with like five ideas off the top of your head that at all they're all ideas you've done before or that you've seen before or you've been influenced by some way and we made it really we sort of set this rule that you know those first five ideas you had to scrap because they're just completely influenced from something else and you needed to kind of take it back and then really think about it and and come up with something different yeah right and you know put something different into it put a different flavor into it just sort of play with it a bit more to make it a bit more individual a bit more interesting mm. um and a bit more left of field i think 
you know, Dave's pantry at Embler's and Lesser uh, was amazing as well. He's sort of really into, you know, a lot of... You know, every, uh, they, they had pretty, pretty strict rules from when they opened about, you know, everything was done from scratch. So yeah. really great place um, for that. So there was a lot of preserving, a lot of, yeah, fermenting. Um, you know, he'd, and, he'd, and I think working with him, that was one of the big things I learned because he, he'd been playing around with that sort of stuff before it was cool i guess yeah, but you know yeah. he, he, they were really dabbling with a lot of that stuff before at uh, the town mouse which was his his restaurant before um uh so he'd had like you know he'd had this sort of like five years ten years of actual experience in it he'd sort of been he'd and he'd, like, he'd, he'd already made all the mistakes with it yeah. so that was a really awesome opportunity to learn how to do those things really well and really properly mm. and it just kind of gave us this pantry of flavors and different things to play yeah. with that, that no one else had i think um, that's um when people who aren't chefs talk about creating they think the sort of a, a, a dish happens and it's it's you you put these ingredients together where you you don't really think of in ingredients you think about in flavors so you think about acid you know, temperature, texture, um, bitterness, saltiness, all these things. And you, and you create a dish that way because you know it's got to have these elements. The ingredients don't really matter as long as they fit into that sphere. Mm. So once you go, we need a raw fish dish. Yeah. You go, right, well, which, which fish we're going to use? What, like, what have we seen? Like, how are we going to technique that? And then, and then you, build, you build flavors. And especially if you've got a pantry of stuff. You yeah. Know, like, right, we need some acid. Like, where's that coming from? It's coming from here. We need texture. So it's not really... It's not really your. Like, I find myself anyway. It's never ingredients. Or it might start with an ingredient, but then it's built up through through flavors and textures. Yeah, definitely. Than being like you know, it's gonna be. Well, that's exactly how it works. You know, instead of yeah, like you you so you know you'd have a you go I want a, a clean white like a clean mm. clean lean fish or I want a fatty rich fish, and then you go okay cool. So then it needs either something fatty or something less fatty, mm. and you need. You know, that fat might not come from, like, creme fraiche or cream or something like that or mayonnaise. Like, it might come from, uh, you know, nuts or something like that and or mm. seeds, you know, and you might make, like, a puree or a milk or something out of seeds mm. and then you go, okay, so it needs some acid and salt and instead of using, like, lemon juice, you might go, I'm going to use, like, green olive brine or something that you taste, like, all the time but you don't think of as a necessarily, like, an ingredient. Yeah, it's just yeah. so... It's kind of in front of your face the whole time, but it always passes mm. over your over your yeah, head yeah. when you're no, thinking it, like, about uh, what you got. The juice from pickled onions, yeah, it's just like the best seasoning. Oh, it's delicious! Like I end up yeah. like having in, like at home just like jars of juiceless yeah. pickled onions. Yeah, you never want to you never throw like that out. Chucking that in sauces, yeah, yeah that's that, that's the best part. I always find that like you know with meat with cooking things on with meat and something else like if you cook meat over rice or fish over rice. Mm. The best part of the meal is actually the rice and all the the flavour that comes from the mm. meat in the rice. You actually don't need the meat. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's sort of, it's it's yeah, that was funny. That's and then, interesting. Yeah. yeah, I think that um, that that approach and it sort of makes so much sense as to the originality of the food at Embler and Lesser and the way that Dave's built himself like into the chef that he is. I think that like he occupies yeah. a position with a lot of people who are in hospitality that are like if you go to melbourne you have to go to one of those venues and just yeah. check out what they're doing because it's always going to be innovative it's yeah. always going to be interesting yeah um definitely and to to set a ground rule that's chuck away your first five ideas 
because they're going to be adulterated by Instagram and, yeah. you know, a food show you might have watched the other day or a chef that you worked with before here yeah. is such a, is such a, like, it's, you're immediately setting yourself up for a big challenge because you can't fall back on something that you used to or easily, mm. like, that just comes easy. Yeah. And, and you're forced to, to innovate. Which creativity, is so cool. I think, like, Ferran Adria had the best definition of creativity and it was like not copying yeah <laughs> like like, like two words and then that's what it is like like there's and there's those levels of creativity but if you want to be truly creative you have to not copy dishes and that's why i said like if, if you think about flavors and layers to a dish yeah you can actually like create your own thing yeah, by yeah. Row that way if, you, if you're thinking about ingredients you're obviously going to copy other people because you're looking at what's what's been done before and what goes together yeah most certainly mm. um yeah, it's one of those things. I mean, it's 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 one of those things. Like the harder, you, the the more you challenge yourself with a creative idea, and the more you sort of squeeze out of your brain to push past the obvious, the 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 more individual and and sometimes hopefully the better it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly the more individual it's going to be. And I think when you see any chefs doing anything that stands out, if it's a you know with an ingredient or if it's a dish or something like that, it's always those. You always look at them. You're like, oh, it's so obvious. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. you know. And why haven't I thought of that? It's because you haven't, you know, I guess you just haven't pushed your your, your brain as yeah. hard as they have to, to really kind of think about it. Mm. Yeah. So we're at the point now where you've you've been working at Lesser and Embler for a while. and You've been around the traps. Been around the traps. Yeah. You've yeah. Seen, some, seen some things. And yeah. I think Gimlet has, is probably like the biggest Melbourne opening of 2020 um, and, you know, a lot of anticipation behind it and stuff like that. And you were kind of there every step of the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't even know where we start. Do, do you want to tell us a bit about the first first conversations with Andrew? Yeah, definitely. Well, so, yeah, like I sort of said, when I was, you know, I'd sort of done this agreement with Dave where it was sort of not going to be a long-term thing, you know, there was, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, my career with him and I sort of, you know sort of was coming up to two years with him um and the timing kind of worked out really well where um i was starting to look at you know six months down the track i was like what am i going to do am i going to stay with with dave or i'm going to you know make another move and see what happens next um and so that sort of timing worked out really well where they you know um chris chris handel who's the group uh, sort of gm and andrew both approached me um and said you know we've, we've signed a lease on this new venue in the city and we want you to have a look at it and we, we want you to run it we want you to be the head chef and um uh it was pretty awesome because i sort of knew that uh, the, them at that stage they could really you know and for this venue they could have sort of offered that to anyone in Australia. It's a pretty, pretty awesome opportunity. Yeah. Um, and so I was very humbled to sort of be the first one off the rank to get offered that. And, you know, it was it was obviously a pretty substantial, important, you know, job offer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, they sort of, we took, they took me into, you know, we met at, on the site, um, which was previously a better, like it's a Bang & Olfelson showroom. Yeah. Um, uh, so on the corner of um, Flinders uh, Flinders Lane and Russell Street, and walked in. It was sort of this cleaned out showroom, so there was nothing really in it. Mm. But it was, you know, it was just the the bare bones of this building and this room. And you walked into this room, and it was just so obvious what it was meant to be from the second you walked in there. So it's a um, an older building. I think it was built right into the, the 1920s in Melbourne. Um, it's a it's an apartment building actually. It always has been, but the ground floor on it. Um, 
was always uh, you know meant to be for I guess the public and for for most of its life it's just been a retail shop. Um, mm. And so this is the f- Gimlet's the first um, restaurant to ever to ever go into this site. Um, but the the bare bones of this room were just like you could almost picture the, the a full restaurant yeah. and what exactly what it would look like, yeah, exactly right. what they, the food would they, look they, like. like the lower half of buildings that aren't built like that now with those tall ceilings no. and, and like just the space to it no not exactly it's it was it's it was a grand room mm. uh, it was, it was, even it was when it was beautiful. a showroom for yeah. a yeah. audio company totally yeah. totally and that's what's awesome about old older buildings in in all cities you know like is they just there's definitely a beauty to them there's that's like the quality of them and um just the history of them you feel that when you walk into them and mm. um it's very very strong and evident with with the site at gimlet um so yeah you could literally walk in there with this empty room and almost picture yeah right this, this restaurant and what ex- it down to like what sort of tableware you'd use and what the waiters would be That's wearing amazing. And which like, is fucking beautiful by yeah. the way some of the stuff you guys have in there is and just it's so rare because i i sometimes go into restaurants especially especially newer buildings and you just you just think, how the hell do uh, you know interior designers and architects come up with something really? In- and often they don't, but they come mm. up with something really original and something really, really creative when you've just got like a, a proper blank canvas with, yeah. with no the, personality. The building's not giving you any cues or anything. Yeah, so to walk into a space where it's just like, this is what I want to be. It's just like it's it's awesome. So mm. the ideas around Gimlet and what it was going to become. Um, formed really quickly and established really really quickly i think andrew you know andrew's really lucky he has to travel around a lot and obviously he's had a lot of experience um but he definitely takes you know a lot of inspiration from traveling and and other restaurants and buildings and art and architecture and things like that from around the world so um you know a lot of people you know this you know it's, it's quite evident that it's it's very reminiscent of something you might see in in london or new york um it very much has that european vibe to it and um so yeah it was relatively easy to kind of put together the idea of what we we're going to do mm. um and you know i think we all you know it was it was a very easy to collaborate as a team as well doing that because we all had the same idea did you get to did you get to put a bit into the kitchen design uh yeah definitely a little bit we had a uh, chris young he's a kitchen designer who um he did the, the kitchen founder at supernormal which okay. is which is one of the most impressively designed kitchens i think mm. that i've ever worked in um and the way it functions and stuff's you know really amazing especially you know a high volume restaurant yeah um he was sort of signed on to do the, the the design of it and to sort of oversee the build of it and stuff like that. Um, but in terms of the the layout of it, in terms of the functionality of it, you know, where where do you put the oven? Where do you put the where do you put the grill? Where do you put the the, the stove? Where do you mm. put mm. that? We you know, I was definitely involved in that sort of that's kind of cool sort of thing. And mm. Yeah, I'd love that. I think it's an opportunity yeah. a lot of chefs like would yeah. you know rub their hands together uh, to have yeah. in their careers to like because they were like a lot of the time you just kind of walk into a kitchen well, and. Kitchens you, you aren't get designed what you're by a chef, and you can tell. Yeah, <laughs> like, but it's also, I mean, that's one of the awesome things with doing it with Andrew is because he's a chef and he's mm. had you know, years and years of experience of not only cooking kitchens but opening kitchens and designing them and stuff like that. Um, he's pretty good at it. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah <absolutely>. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, knows you, what he's doing. Yeah, you, you know, you you've got some pretty good, a pretty good team to work within, yeah. um, and you know, I think a lot of the things that you you don't probably think about when you're designing those things like how busy you are going to be and how yeah. 
how the kitchen will hold up in terms of functionality. Yeah, and how space, many people you got, what sections you got. Clear there's ways, lots of yeah. So there's all those little things that um, you know I didn't I didn't need to get I didn't I you know definitely didn't have too much bearing on my shoulders in terms of those decisions to make, which was good, but definitely had you know the opportunity to have input and yeah, that's cool. and to you know put my ideas forth on, on what what mm. I thought was going to work. work. Yeah, you know, you got to you got to use it then. Mm. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But sure it's so far so good. It's what about um? What about first conversations about menu and stuff like that? Because like having had some some food there yesterday afternoon, like it's it's perfect. Like if you walked into a space like that but didn't look at the menu, you'd yeah. almost guess like you'd be like. This is the perfect yeah. perfect menu to to match the surroundings. It's very congruent. So much and yeah. knowing the identity of the, of the space led to yeah. knowing some of the dishes. Well, you do that's exactly right. Like like I said, from that first moment you walked into that building before it was a restaurant, when it was an empty space, you literally could see the food on the plates mm. and what it would look like. And um, I think we sort of conceptualized what we. You know that's it, it's it's that's also quite a broad thing as well because it's quite a classic restaurant. It's not it's not a modern restaurant in any mm. way. It's it's, no. it's a restaurant that looks back at history um, and nostalgia. I think in in terms of that, when you think about what what's a defining restaurant that you gives you that warm feeling it's, it's often the first really great restaurant you go to when you're a child or something mm. like that. that it you kind of th- those are probably the things that drive the inspiration for it a little bit um and we sort of thought well obviously the food's not going to be modern it's going to be classic it's going to look back at classic cooking and classic recipes and look look back in in terms of what we're going to do to go forward um so we you know we thought we also wanted we also really needed to consider what our other restaurants are doing in the mm. group as well so you know opening another restaurant on flinders lane so it's three yeah. three restaurants yeah. within mm. probably 200 meters of each other and all three big restaurants that are really busy we're very conscious not to tread on the toes of each other yeah <laughs> mm. was it was it always intended to be just as much a bar as it is a restaurant definitely yeah, yeah. so the bar the concept with the bar and the, the cocktails was from day one yes yeah. definitely on the on the cards and i think that was one of the probably the first um part of the restaurant that was something we we're going to offer that was different to to all the other restaurants we had it was just a really strong cocktail focused mm. bar that's at a really really high level mm. yeah. um so that was yeah that was definitely part of the concept from from day one and obviously as well just matches that building Perfectly, yeah, that kind yeah, of classic, yeah. classic cocktail bar. Yeah, it just fits in. It's so beautiful. Well. Yeah, well, it's I mean, like that grand space makes you happy to spend twenty five bucks on a martini. Yeah, yeah. Like, totally. like it gives the whole place value when you're it in does. that space. Yeah, and that's something that like cooking there. You, I think it has it, that I've realised, and, and not necessarily realised in other jobs before, was that it is the sum of all its parts that restaurant yeah. the experience is truly the sum of every aspect of that restaurant it's, it is the obviously the environment and the mm. design and the quality of the fittings and everything like mm. that to the the uh, curation of the glassware the tableware um, the artwork um, and, and then it's the drinks the bar the the detail these guys do with the drinks is insane that's pedantic about the temperature of glasses and the mm. ice and mm. the, the 
everything um and then it's the service and then it's the food so it's sort of that that was really cool and that's something i really liked and it's actually taken the pressure off me as a chef to go it's not all my shoulders yeah does that that still satisfy you as a chef when it's not all about the food it does yeah absolutely well it it takes a whole lot of pressure off yeah you feel like it you're not not it's everyone's not there you. to just come in and mm. judge your food. <laughs> you yeah, know? it's like people are there to just l- like have the whole experience, and you play. You, you know the the role you play, and that is very, you know, it's 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 one part of it. It's not the whole part, mm. and you, yeah. I mean, it's also I guess that's what drives the food as well. It it takes it away from trying to create the next biggest dish in the world that's you know all over instagram or that everyone's talking about it's just really it's just really simply about being really delicious and mm. comforting and generous and warm and making you feel good in that environment mm. rather than um trying to challenge you or to make you think or to you know impress you to the point where that your your focus and your your time in that restaurant spent actually on the food rather than with with everything and most importantly with the people you're dining with or drinking yeah. with yeah it's 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 such a great atmosphere i think one of the um one of the things that makes andrew stand out and what he's been able to do <clears throat> or from my experience is build these venues that can be used in so many different ways like you can you can walk into gimlet like we did yesterday afternoon yeah. after having had a lunch at Q- for, for those out there by the way <laughs> just to tell you what we did yesterday like we went to lunch at cumulus at two o'clock because simon's never been there and then we walked into gimlet and we sat down and alan alan just crushed us with appetizers <laughs> and stuff this after we, we, no, we, yeah. we, we landed we couldn't check in here till two. Mm. Did I did some shopping? You did some shopping, uh, yeah. and then we went straight into lunch, and then a pre-dinner dinner. Yeah, with, with my bags in tow, I got yeah. changed on the street. <laughs> yeah, in my, my plane yeah, because we couldn't check in, <laughs> and then. But yeah, so like, oh, it was just amazing. It was one of those afternoons where, like, you're just so happy because we just had beautiful drinks to sit in Gimlet there on a cold Melbourne Sunday afternoon, um, and to have drinks and have those sort of food. Like you're just all warm, you're full, but like enjoying yourself. <laughs> and we came back, it came back to drop our bags off and have like the the briefest of little breathers and then we went straight to Carlton Wine Room <laughs> where we had the fucking tasting menu as well. Yeah, we just yeah. got the whole works there too, which was fantastic. But mm. that's a, that's an aside. It's I digress. It's a big day, but uh, that's what we're here for. You know what I mean? That's what you do when yeah, you travel as, as a hospo. Yeah, Food fight on tour. That's, yeah. that's the thing, yeah. So, but um, yeah, like what Andrew's been able to do to, and and I think Cumulus was the first, um, you know, expression of that was to build somewhere where like there's no judgment as to how you how the customers use this space. It's like mm. the staff want you there mm. in whatever capacity. Like if you want to sit there and have a glass of wine and sit there for you know an hour and and chat over a glass of wine like you're not going to feel as if you you're not welcome because you're yeah. sitting there for too long and it's the same at cumulus it's like you can be having a coffee in the afternoon on your laptop sending emails and things like that and sit there for an hour right next to people who are having you know 10 different dishes and three bottles of wine mm. and you always feel welcome yeah and to be able to create venues that have that welcoming feel and are a space that can be used in so many different ways, and I, and I suppose with Gimlet, like you've got, you know, you've got another whole journey to go on as to what you do in the mornings and things like that, which we mm. were discussing earlier and stuff like that too. But um, it's a really beautiful and really unique thing, and I think that's one of the things that I've always noticed about the McConnell venues is um, 
and, and it goes to what you're saying about that attention to detail across all the parts of, of an establishment is just the feeling the, the feeling of welcome and the feeling of being relaxed being welcome the people that serve you are happy happy yeah. that you're there yeah and um and obviously the food and wine sort of goes 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 there and matches it every Definitely. step of the way yeah yeah, yeah. we i mean we we yeah like we the i guess the, the the mentality of our group and what we you know what we train our our teams for is those basic hospitality pleasures that and that you you want to feel when you go into a restaurant and um we do work really hard at that and it's and it, there's a lot of work that goes into that there's a lot of work that goes into those little details to the solo diner that we can offer half portions of everything for and so mm. that they can have more and they can um feel like that and, and and ultimately for us it just it's that builds our client base it builds our our the, the our customers who keep coming back over and over again because they feel comfortable and they can use the space for different occasions with different people in different mm. ways and um it also keeps our job interesting as well it's really nice to like look after someone who's just coming in for one snack and a glass of wine for half an hour really really well to give them a half an hour you know the best half an hour that they've they yeah. can have um you know and it's not just all about the, the people who come in and spending huge amounts of money with big tables and things like that with it's it's you know it, it makes our job interesting as well mm. um and it's also there's a lot of reward and a lot of pride that goes into looking after the yeah the the the, the solo diner mm. or the, the the table of two that have come in uh from you know outside of the city who it's just a big deal like it, you know just giving the consistent focus and consistent quality of hospitality to anyone in any circumstance just is, gives you a huge reward for sure mm. definitely mm. the uh, i mean the, the the mix of people there yesterday afternoon i was yeah. quite impressed you don't see that um sort of mix of, of like you know, two young girls at the bar a bunch of hospital dickheads in a booth uh, <laughs> some like older people some people on dates yeah. some like people who just finished work there was like a really good mix there yeah um or probably not just sunday probably didn't finish work it was wearing suits <laughs> too many in suits just worked yeah. um but i mean and that, that's that's kind of what everyone especially now is looking at is like how do you get as much utility out of your space as possible yeah definitely um so i mean very ahead of his time in that sense with all the venues yeah well, especially for a venue that's you know we, it is it's a pretty bougie grand venue. Like, yeah. You, know, you walk in there and it's I've, a lot of people have said that well it's a it's a venue you walk in and it just you just want to spend money. At. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> like, you just want to open your wallet up. Want. Yeah, that's which is quite a what a powerful feeling to feel when yeah, you walk into a restaurant. But it's it is really really awesome that yeah the variety and it, and it and that it is comfortable and approachable for a whole lot of different mm. people. And yeah. I think that. Um, you know, it's hard to do, and especially in a restaurant like that, especially at a restaurant with that sort of feeling and vibe to it, it's um, it definitely can be really easy for it to feel uncomfortable or intimidating. Well, that's the or, thing. That's what's mm, the yeah. awesome thing about it. But is I that think that the bar, like I think having the bar and, and being able mm. to offer something really relaxed and casual, not just the full dining experience every time is, yeah. is, how, is why that works because you can come in and just have a really chilled out experience and yeah yeah, yeah it's it, it, yeah it doesn't it doesn't have that that any any sort of feeling of pretension or mm. unwelcome like I, I i would would feel comfortable walking in in a pair of shorts and yeah and and having a quick drink with a friend or whatever and it's funny that you said that it's the place you want to spend money at because the um the girl who served us last night at um carton wine room was like oh you went to gimlet this afternoon um i 
I just lose hours in that place. <laughs> yeah, like I go, yeah. to, I go to there to have one cocktail with a friend, and three hours later, I've eaten a steak and drank a full yeah, bottle yeah. of red. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And the end of the day, like this is this is what you need. Like you're gonna make money. Yeah. And so you want as many people to be able to come in as possible. Yeah, definitely. You want yeah. people to come in at all times of the day. Yeah. And at all price points. That's then, exactly then you're, right. You're constantly yeah. making bank. Yeah. And that, that's the uh, you can't stay open unless you do that. Yeah, definitely. I think being open to that idea and just realizing, you know, yeah. Like the more you're open, and the more mm. you're open for people to come in and just come in and buy things. Yeah, yeah. That's how you make the money. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. It's sort of restricting your services and stuff. I mean, obviously, for some people, it works that way, and, and and you know, with different sort of limitations and stuff. But you know, definitely in the, the middle of the city where you've got that population and that foot traffic and and theaters and things like that, and obviously that's all you know that's starting to come back after last year and. Um, yeah, I mean that's why you come in on a Sunday afternoon and it's full. Like, yes, mm. yeah, yeah. Um, briefly before we finish, let's talk a bit about the food. Obviously, like we touched on it before, very European, very classic, mm. very um, you know simple. What's it like? Tell us about how you source, um, you know, your produce, and because obviously when you're creating food that's classic and simple. Mm. Um, but at a high quality establishment, it allows you to be able to just find the best shit. Basically, is that what yeah. you, is that what you're kind of doing at the moment? Definitely, definitely. Like I think that with the food, that's and that's kind of uh, one of the underlining rules. With and it was not really a rule, but it's the, the the thing that I've established quick with working with him for so long is that not work, that that's where a lot of the hard work as a chef uh, or a head chef is is actually sourcing ingredients and sourcing the best ingredients. Like that's what, honestly, that's probably what I spend most of my time doing mm. is just talking to suppliers, trying to get better ingredients, trying to get the new new ingredients, mm. trying to see what else out there, you know, keep digging for, because there's so much good stuff around yeah. as, as we know. And it's, especially when in the middle of the city, it's hard, you're not, you're not, it's not right in front of your face. You've really got to like get on the phone or get on mm. the internet and, and find it and talk to people and stuff like that. And it's, it's a lot about, it's a lot of networking. It's a lot of conversation. Um, so yeah, we, you know, I guess the, the concept of kind of classic timeless food is, is part of what sort of, um, I guess, outlines what the menu is going to be and what the food's going to be but um what takes it from being you know french food in the 1980s to food now is is definitely the the produce that we use so um we you know in our in the restaurant group in the trader house restaurant group um part of that obviously we have a butchery meatsmith which is is awesome um they specialize in local rare breed uh, poultry, you know, meat, pork. Um, so that's awesome, and and obviously being part of that, you know, be, being being an arm of the, uh, well, sorry, being part uh, in the same group. You've, you've we do have insides to, uh, you know, to, to sourcing what we want. They work really hard for us to get us what we want, and um, we try and do the best with it as well. So so that's really awesome. Um, we work with quite a lot of biodynamic farmers as well that sort of one of the really nice things about melbourne and the growth of melbourne maybe compared to some other cities is the city you know you still kind of can get to farms within an hour outside mm. of melbourne mm. so there's a lot of awesome growers that kind of just basically border the the inner suburbs of melbourne so um we you know get somerset heritage produce uh romaro from um 
we get a lot of stuff from those guys mm. um, weekly or bi-weekly and we kind of really try and drive our menu and get the bulk of our menu from them. Um, it's also a, a super busy restaurant so we do use other suppliers as well um, yeah. but we you know, we really try and sort of source most of the things and most of the things that we try and highlight will come from those kind yeah. of guys. Um, we, we have lobster on the menu, we get that um, delivered from um, some guys down uh, in Port Campbell on the Great Ocean Road. So they, they literally come direct, straight out of the water. That's mm. in the restaurant in like that's two amazing. or three hours. <laughs> yes. and it's, and it, on Tuesday and it's on lunch. So you're eating lobster that's like three hours out of the water still. <laughs> like it's, it's so good. So yeah. yeah, so that's sort of, I guess, what like raises the level of the food from just being sort of like a concept a classic concept or something like that to mm. to f- food that's really good right now is, is is the produce for sure yeah epic all right well it, so to finish off like i think that it's worth acknowledging like you've excelled like in the head chef role like you've you've worked at the best places in melbourne and um you know have been doing it for years and super experienced and um <clears throat> like do you do you often get the question when are you going to open your own place is that something that people ask you because i think when it when you get to a certain level um there might be this expectation from the hospitality community mm. the people around you or whatever that that it's it's you know the next step mm. is uh opening your own sh- shop or even pursuing sort of more of that media attention and things like that and being one of those chefs that everyone's that's always in the media and very well recognized like or but but at the same time i think there are a lot of chefs out out there like you that are that are happy cooking and Mm. and and that sort of thing like do you feel an expectation um i guess i do in terms of the media thing like i've i've never my my wife used to work in the music industry and she managed some sort of um well-known like rock bands in australia and she i remember having this conversation with her and talking about putting herself in the media light or having a strong presence on social media and things like that and she was like none of the none of the music artists like doing it they like sitting in their dark rooms and playing music yeah <laughs> none of them like posting on instagram and it's really hard to do it and she you know we've this conversation's come up a lot about sort of where I'm at and who I am and, and where I'm working and and you know my presence in terms of that sort of thing and putting myself out there on social media and it sort of came down to just feel like if it's not for you like you you quickly know if being um, into social media and stuff like that is either for you or it's not mm. you either like doing it or you hate doing it yeah and um, I've never like loved doing it I've always sort of um, yeah, I've never really felt a massive urge to kind of put my life out there, uh, my personal life out there onto onto social media pages. Um, and I kind of, one of the, I mean, I guess one of the really nice things about working in this restaurant group and well, for a restaurant group is we have people who do it. We have people who yeah. are employed to look after the, the social media presence of those restaurants and mm. they take photos. We have professional photographers. Andrew's wife, Jo, is, uh, you know, it's, she's almost like our professional group photographer now mm. and we're doing we do photo shoots weekly um yeah, with, right. with new dishes or mm. to or new drinks to or you know things that are aimed to promote uh or direct you know what our media attention needs where our media attention needs to go so it's 
we do it within the group at a really, really high level, at yeah. like a professional level. Um, and it's very considered and it's, it's, you know, it's very formulated and stuff like that. So it's something where I, I definitely don't feel the pressure to, to do it. Yeah, okay, um, that's, cool. that's where a lot of it comes down to. If you are the, the owner of the restaurant, you have to, like you're doing everything to, yeah. to get yourself out there. And, and so, you, so you are just the proxy person to do it. Obviously some people like it, some people don't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of time it's just it's out, out of necessity. Definitely. As much as I searching mean, it out. If I had my own small business, I would absolutely be, you know, yeah. posting every day and trying mm. to, you know, because it is an awesome way to advertise yourself. Of course. And, and it is super effective. Um, but it's actually really nice and luxury, especially in this day and age, to yeah. not have to do it. To oh, like, man, it'd be so To good. not spend time on the phone. <laughs> I think that going back to the start of this podcast, we were talking about, you know, cooking as a trade and getting into it as a trade. It It is still a trade. It is still, mm. it's, it is just a job. It's not, you know... It, it definitely is not doesn't have to be something that need you don't need to be a superstar yeah. celebrity chef. Mm. You can have it as just a job and it can you can still be doing it at the high level and mm. be doing amazing stuff. And if, if anything, I guess the less time you're spending on the phone, the more time you're sort of spending reading books or yeah. f- cooking new totally. things or learning new things. So, so would you would you look to open your own restaurant one day or do you think you are more happy and comfortable well, um, um, working in, in a group and as part of a sort of larger team? Definitely. Look, at the moment, I think after, you know, the the all the lockdowns and COVID and those sort of things, it's pretty nice to be part of a big team yeah. where you're working with a humongous amount of resources and a humongous amount of talent to create something super amazing that is doing well and successful and people are celebrating. Doing it on yourself, doing it by yourself right now would be super super tough Mm. and i think for quite a while i've definitely you know i'm definitely open to the idea of of you know and and can see myself doing something one day um and i've always had this idea that you know again sort of figuring out that i'm much more of a team player rather than an individual i've always sort of wanted had this idea where i'd like to you know find a team of people to do it with and the right Mm. the right uh the right players of that team to put together something and put together a restaurant um because i think that it's it's something that's not doing it by myself isn't something i'm sort of super interested in doing it um and yeah i think it's sort of it's always i go in and out of of like you know feeling like i want to do it and then sort of just going there's no way i do that you know it's you're mental to do that like it's yeah um yeah it's sort of tough and i think um it's i, I think it's one of those things it's such a huge thing to take on for 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 someone financially and for their lifestyle and um you really need to be able to feel like it's the right thing well that's the thing and it's like on paper like on paper right now it's like you you're in a position where like you've you've got your sort of like creative fix you've got a great job and a great team and you're at an awesome new restaurant and and everything it's like it it's all working there's just so many uncertainties of opening opening your own place like and with all the you know, with all the competition and the challenges and COVID and all these sorts of things, it's like if you put it if you put it down on paper, it's like fucking you've got to be crazy. You know what I mean? But there's just something about it for a lot of chefs and, well, and things it. as well. And it, so. But I don't think that's ever changed. Like I don't think you know people say that you know in this yeah. day and age you've got to be crazy to open a restaurant because yeah. on paper you're better off putting your money just in a high interest savings account yeah. <laughs> and yeah. which is you know, right now, on paper is actually completely low. crazy 
so if you're going to do it, you've, you've got to kind of really, you've really got to want it. Yeah. And there's definitely a part of me that wants that for sure. Yeah. But I think it all, all the things have to add up for you to really commit to doing something like that. And, um, and yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like at the same time, you know, people have opened restaurants for, for years. Well, exactly. Years. That's the thing. And you it's know, like, it's, it's like all it's, part of people's life it story. Is, it is, it's, you know, it's a big step for, a lot of people, but it's also it's not that crazy. Well, you also you've also got the privilege, the exp- experience of opening numerous venues as yeah. well. So, like, it's not like you've just been yeah definitely working at the odd place here and then you're like, I want to open my own shop. Well, I have yeah. thought that you know, yeah. like, and definitely acknowledge that you know the experience that I've built, um, especially working with you know with Andrew McConnell, um, has definitely sort of given me a, the training ground and ex- and an education in how to to open a restaurant and how to manage a restaurant with you know and it, it would be a shame to to not you know have a crack at it one day but yeah, yeah we'll see we'll see how we go we'll <laughs> touch base again yeah. um all right i think we should wrap it up that's almost mm. that's almost us we're going to dinner at embla tonight very excited about that and then back at gimlet tomorrow night for dinner which Round is going to be very exciting and <laughs> Because I know he's going to be super excited about this. Let's give a shout out to Simon and Louisa and their new baby Daisy at yeah. the end, who is a fr- mutual friend of ours in Wollongong. Congratulations. <laughs> Anything else from you, Alan, before we finish? No, no I think that's it. That's yeah, it? It's been All right. great. Cool. Awesome. Chat. Awesome Good chatting. Thank you so yeah. much for joining Thanks, mate. us, mate. Awesome. Hello, dear listeners. Steph here. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of The Food Fight. If you want to get in touch with us, it's at The Food Fight Podcast on Instagram or The Food Fight Podcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you and we want to talk to you. Please leave us a five star review on iTunes. That really helps. If you want to hit me up, it's quicksandfood.com or at quicksandfood on Instagram. And if you want to get in touch with Simon, it's Simon underscore Evans underscore TBD on Instagram. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll catch you again with another episode. 